0: Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning, and they do a great job. They'll help you out, too. Give him a call. Here's the website Johnson's dot com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yatman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. <clears throat> Brad Palumbo will be joining us. He's the domestic uh, correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. We're talking about legalizing marijuana. Big push now in the Uh, capitol hill dave beagle is the author of the devil at our doorstep and michael cannon is the director of health uh, policy studies at the cato institute it is november the 19th and on this day in 1863 at the dedication of a military cemetery at gettysburg pennsylvania during the american civil war president abraham lincoln uh, delivered one of the most memorable speeches in american history In fewer than 275 words, Lincoln brilliantly and movingly reminded a war-weary public why the Union had to fight and win the Civil War. The Battle of Gettysburg, fought some four months earlier, was the single bloodiest battle of the Civil War. Over the course of three days, more than 45,000 men were killed, injured, captured, or went missing. The battle also proved to be the turning point of the war. General Robert E. Lee's defeat and retreat from Gettysburg marked the last Confederate invasion of Northern Territory, and the beginning of the Southern Army's ultimate decline. Charged by Pennsylvania's Governor Andrew Curtin to care for uh, Gettysburg dead, the attorney named David Wills brought 17 acres of pasture to turn into a cemetery for more than 7,500 who fell in the battle. Wills invited Everett Everett, one of the most famous orders of the day, to deliver a speech at the cemetery's dedication. Almost as an afterthought, Wills sent a letter to Lincoln just two weeks before the ceremony requesting a few appropriate remarks to consecrate the grounds. At the dedication, the crowd listened for two hours to Everett before Lincoln spoke. Lincoln's address lasted just two to three minutes. The speech reflected his redefined belief that the Civil War was not just a fight to save the Union, but a struggle for freedom and equality for all, an idea Lincoln had not championed (coughs) in the years leading up to the war. This was his stirring conclusion. The world will little note, nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget. What we did here is for us, the living, rather than to dedicate, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here, dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we do take increased devotion to the cause for which they gave their last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Reception of the Lincoln's Gettysburg Address was initially mixed, divided, of course, along partisan lines. Nevertheless, the little speech, as he later called it, is thought by many to be the most eloquent articulation of a democratic vision ever written. <clears throat> so interesting, 275 words following a two-hour speech. And of course, uh, it is not a little long remembered. It is long remembered for its brilliance and eloquence, brevity, and beauty. Well, thanks to Governor Ron DeSantis, Brandon Florida was trending on Twitter. The governor held his news conference Thursday morning in Brandon, where he signed a package of bills aimed at shielding Florida from any vaccine requirements on businesses. In addition to DeSantis, there's a whole lot of folks there, including Gen- Attorney General Ashley Moody, Sur- Surgeon General Dr. Joseph LaPado. House Speaker Chris Sprouls and Senate President William Wilton Simpson, the governor's office, did not specify why the location of the conference was held there, although users on social media had some media outlets suspect it was a knock on President Joe Biden, just like, let's go Brandon. He skirted the question about that, and with a compliment to the city instead. So I think that Brandon, Florida is a great American city. I think the people here are fantastic, said the governor. The crowd interrupted Sanders to the shout, to chant. Let's go, Brandon. But he quickly uh, continued, I can tell you my only negative on Brandon was that when I was growing up and playing baseball, they always used to beat us every year. But now I think as governor, I'm really proud. We're proud to be able to make a stand for freedom in Brandon, Florida. Well done, Governor. And well done, Brandon. Always will be remembered for Let's Go, Brandon. While President Biden's poll numbers keep heading south, President's approval rating stands at 36% with disapproval at 53%. I mean, that's approaching a 20% difference there. It's a Quinnipiac University national poll. The president's lowest level of public support in Quinnipiac polling since taking over in the White House in January. His approval ledged down a point and his disapproval trickled up a point from Quinnipiac's October survey. 61% of those surveyed said the nation's economy is getting worse while 7 in 10 Said increased prices for things like food and gasoline have caused them to change their spending habits. Regardless, those questioning the poll said by a forty-six to twenty-eight percent margin they would want to see Republican Party win control of the House of Representatives if the midterm elections were held today, with sixteen percent not offering an opinion. And by a forty-six to forty percent margin, those surveyed said they'd like to see GOP win the Senate majority, with fifteen percent not offering an opinion. Hmm, let's hope that's the canary in the coal mine for the Republican Party. Boy, we need to get these guys out of office. A federal judge on Monday issued a nationwide injunction on President Joe Biden's executive order to halt oil and gas operations on all federal lands in the name of fighting so-called climate change. Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry led this lawsuit, joined by 12 other states, and reacted to the court's decision, calling it good for America. This is a victory not only for the rule of law, but also for the thousands of workers who produce affordable energy for Americans, said Landry. The president's executive order abandons middle-class jobs, cripples our economy, and hits everyday Americans where it hurts the most in their pocketbooks. Moreover, Landry said Biden's order actually hurts the environment. You know, it's just kind of crazy that the president would uh, cut off drilling in these lands. Yeah, he re- he could have said, "Look, we have an emergency now. Prices are going up. I'm going to open up the lands." But no, he uh, allowed the court to do it. He continues to shoot himself in the foot. He's all tied up in his underwear about this climate change business. It's going to be the end of him, quite frankly, in my opinion. Do you know who Enos Kanter is? Well, he's a a center guy, six ten, plays for the Boston Celtics. He's quickly becoming the NBA's moral conscience. Releasing a new shoe design, taking the league and especially LeBron James, to task for failing to recognize the human rights crimes of NBA's Chinese partners. On Thursday, he blasted his fellow players for pretending to care about social justice, even as they ignored China's horrendous record of human rights, all in the pursuit of money. More to the point, Cantor aimed his barbs directly at NBA star LeBron James, who styles himself as King James, by accusing James of putting money over morals. Money over morals for the king, Cantor sharply tweeted. Sad and disgusting how these athletes pretend they care about social justice, he continued. They really do shut up and dribble when uh, big boss China says so. Did you ever ever educate yourself about the slave labor that made your shoes, or is that just not part of your research, he said. China is currently one of the biggest violators of human rights in the world. Cantor also blasted Joe Biden for playing footsie with China. In a tweet posted Sunday, Kander told Biden to stop playing games with bullies. He also focused on the abuses in China for the last several months, trying to get his fellow players to begin to see the horrors that the communist giant forces on its minority populations. His activism is not unfounded in March, a report by the independent think tank Newslines Institute for Strategy and Policy cites dozens of experts who agree that China is the worst human rights violator of the modern age China, the report concluded, is indisputably guilty of genocide against the Uyghur people. I guess this pronounced Uyghur. Kander Celtics will face LeBron James tonight uh, in uh, Boston. <clears throat> kind of interesting. Uh, Kander, by the way, if you're concerned about Boston playing Kander, his, actually, his uh, playing time has actually increased here in the last couple of weeks since he's been so vocal. So happy about the uh, Boston Celtics franchise as well as Kander speaking out. He's the only NBA player that I'm aware of that's doing so. Well, House Minority Leader Kevin Carthy's several hours long speech bashing President Biden's Build Back Better agenda on Thursday night appears to have pushed the Democrats into delaying the vote until this morning. According to several congressional reporters, the Democrats called it quits for the night as McCarthy continued hammering the bill as a socialist wish list that would cripple American people with unfair taxes and generations of debt. Leader McCarthy is welcome to continue his as raving as, at the night and the, as he wants. The House will return and vote first thing Friday morning, said one senior Democrat. We thank the minority leader for helping us maximize the coverage of our efforts. <laughs> McCarthy even acknowledged the delay from the House floor as he continued speaking well past four-hour mark. avowing to keep talking as long as he could and as long as the American people would listen, he said, Mr. Pico, I think I owe an apology because... I understand the Democrats have left and want to recess when I'm done. I don't know if they can get to the airlines at the time to change their flights to Puerto Rico later tomorrow for this fundraiser. I'm sorry for that, but this just is too important. Mr. Speaker, I don't know if they think that they left. I'm going to stop, he continued. I'm not. It's too important. Well, good for uh, Speaker McCarthy. I think it's great that he did that, although the vote will probably happen this morning. We're going to pursue this issue with our next guest, William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We're going to have more in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is B's Diner, providing great service Fabulous food and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner's a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60's decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value and terrific service. Most of the friendly staff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Ramboss says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. The Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, Director of the Golden Gate Senior Center.
2: We want to be able to connect you
1: Or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's
0: 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by going to choicesocial.us, the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Brad Palumbo. He's the uh, domestic correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank
3: you so much for having me on, Bob.
1: Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
3: You bet. Uh, We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government.
1: Cato.org is the website. So it looks like uh, they pulled off a coup they uh, were talking about on Capitol Hill. They passed the infrastructure, so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill. Big signing ceremony went on. And, of course, they're waiting now for what's going to happen on the uh, human infrastructure bill or the Build Back Better bill, BBB. (laughs) What are your thoughts, William?
3: Well, indeed, the the Big news this week um, would would concern that Build Back Better bill, the BBB Act. Um, yesterday afternoon, the CBO score came down, and according to the Congressional Budget Office, uh, the BBB bill would add something between 150 billion and 360 billion uh, to the deficit over 10 years. So that really puts the lie to two of Biden's most outlandish claims regarding this legislation. Um, The first, that it's fully paid for, and the second, that it would somehow be good for inflation. Um, Notwithstanding this news, uh, Pelosi is proceeding apace with a vote. Uh, She'd actually scheduled one last evening, but uh, Minority Leader McCarthy, of the Republican Party, had used his leadership prerogative to stage sort of a mini filibuster. And he spoke for about eight hours, and, and that wrapped up at 5 a.m. And really, ultimately, that only had the effect of delaying the inevitable. Um, Pelosi will hold a vote this morning. It appears that she has the votes. Um, so notwithstanding that CBO score, uh, which would seemingly be adverse to the cause, and you know, despite the fact that she only has three votes to lose, she appears to have bought off enough <laughs> members of her caucus um, to get this thing passed. So uh... the next step of course after that would be going over to the senate uh... we know in its current form that it's very likely to change and indeed whether or not the senate will proceed at all with this legislation is very much up in the air mm. with senator Manchin and, and senator Senema um... both uh, calling for a, a pause while we consider the implications in inflation.
1: You know what? I have to give a tip of the hat to Nancy Pelosi. She must be extremely influential with these people because, it, in my view, for many of these moderate Democrats who are in swing districts, I mean, this is political suicide to vote for this thing.
3: Well, again, I mean, so this is modern day legislating, mm-hmm. alas. She, in essence, cobbled together enough votes, or seems to have done so, by effectively bribing off enough members of her party. And when you speak of the moderates, um, this actually gets to one of the most absurd provisions of the BBB act. Um, so the moderates' number one priority, by and large, was uh, 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 the repeal of what the Trump administration had done to the state and local tax deduction. Um, ultimately, this maneuver, which again was the moderates' number one priority, um, benefits millionaires. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure your listeners have seen stories to this end. So, it, and I think it costs something like 280 billion dollars. I mean, it's one of the largest components of the bill that is supposedly all progressive and whatnot, and it's actually quite regressive. I mean, it's a, it's a big tax giveaway to rich people. So, uh, the the sad answer to your question is that um, yes, I guess she is a master politician, but uh, you know her strategy was pretty straightforward, and that was to pay off enough members
1: yeah so interesting i read a column that uh, apparently the this is supposed to be tax the rich the rich are going to pay for this uh climate change business and for this infrastructure for the uh human infrastructure program build back better and yet the average uh, billionaire will get a sixteen thousand dollar tax reduction <laughs> 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 from, <laughs> from this uh, you couldn't make this stuff up yeah no, i mean it's, it's just so much hypocrisy it's unbelievable so um uh, the million dollar, $64,000 question, as they used to say back in the day. So, um, what's going to happen in the Senate? Are they going to pass it?
3: Well, again, we'll see. Uh, Mansion, his approval ratings evidently have gone through the roof in West Virginia. And, and again, that's a state that Trump carried by 40 points in 2020. So, uh, you know, if he means business about Taking a pause on all this spending, and it does seem as though he he, he he means business, and it seems as though he's being rewarded politically for doing so. Um, then there's I would put a pretty darn good odds that perhaps nothing happening, or at least something significantly different from what the House just passed. Um, I'll say here that Schumer's best weapon uh, in getting this thing passed is going to be Christmas. Um, so this is actually straight out of the playbook from Senator Harry Reid when they, when uh, in 2010 and passing Obamacare. But uh, uh, Schumer's plan seems to be to push the vote till before Christmas and then hold everyone in the Senate <laughs> in D.C. Uh, you know, in the run-up to Christmas and, until they finally buckle in that <laughs> vote thing. Um, so we'll see how that plays out, and we'll see how firm Manchin is when yeah. when he says, "Hey, let's hit the brakes here."
1: So interesting, William. By the way, uh, yesterday, uh, uh, I think it was a federal court decided to put a hold on the uh, lack of drilling or no drilling in uh, certain federal uh, areas. Uh, and uh, really, it's just uh, seems to me so stupid that Biden is shutting down the energy uh, business. We're seeing uh, prices go up at the pump. It's hurting his popularity dramatically. It's a decision he could have made. But uh, no, <laughs> he decided to let the courts do it instead. What are your thoughts? Well, it's, uh, I mean, ridiculous would be an apt
3: term. And I would say it's, his policies here have been as, as absurd as his claiming that the Social Spending Act, this Build Back Better Act, would somehow help inflation. Um, you know, it's just absurd in its face. Just to recap what he's done here, when he comes into office, He's issuing moratorium on you know drilling activity on federal lands, and he's shutting down pipelines, and that sends an unmistakable price signal to the markets um, that hydrocarbons are going to become more expensive. Uh, then when gas prices start to, to pinch consumers about a month ago, his, his White House reportedly reaches out to the oil industry and says, hey, what can you guys do to help me out to lower gas prices? And now he's flipped flipped back the other way. Yeah. Uh this week he's blaming <laughs> oil companies for purported price gouging which is supposedly behind a uh, recent pain at the pump which is, you know is laughable, visible really, but this sort of uh, uh uh lack of focus when it comes to an energy policy is really quite conspicuous and I'll say this this is true for many uh, areas of domestic policy making in the Biden administration. I mean they're just all over the place and and in any given day they're giving a different answer. Um, yeah. So uh, we just say the energy policy is perhaps the exemplar uh, of of what's going on here or, or you know, the ultimate example of what's going on here. Um but you know it, it really it makes no sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean Abraham Lincoln said that you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And, boy, Joe Biden is proof of that. He doesn't understand the law of cause and effect. He's just an outright liar, one of the two. Before I let you go, uh, any comments on OSHA halting the implementation of the vaccine mandate?
3: So uh, we spoke about that last week. Uh, just quick update: uh, the, uh, the Fifth Circuit issued a lengthier pause on
1: that vaccine
3: mandate that had come out of uh, the Biden administration a couple weeks ago. And subsequent to that, the Biden administration said we're not going to enforce this thing uh, until it's it resolved in the courts, or until we get uh, further clarity from the court. So, and as we spoke about and predicted last week, uh, they have met with roadblocks uh, within the federal judiciary.
1: Yeah, and uh, right now. Of course, here in Florida, or yesterday, in Brandon, Florida, by the way, <laughs> no coincidence there that uh, our governor signed into law uh, kind of the fire shield, uh, the firewall that's going to protect us from uh, these mandates, even if, in fact, uh, somehow the courts approve them. So we're very fortunate here in Florida.
3: Breach years for federalism.
1: Absolutely. Again, William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C A T O. Org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me
1: on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueprovenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's bleeprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239, Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
0: Come back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's
1: your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Not only building a 44,000 square foot performing art in Naples, also bringing professional New York style theater at its very best right here to Naples. And you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Brad Palumbo. He is the Domestic correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Michael Cannon. Michael is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Thank you, Michael. So, uh, be interested in just uh, getting an update on what's happening with COVID. To me, seeing more and more evidence that the uh, effectiveness of the COVID vaccines are breaking down and not providing. Well, they're not uh, preventing people from getting COVID. I just want to get your thoughts.
2: Well, as you and I have discussed, I got two doses of Moderna, and then I got a breakthrough infection. I am living proof that uh, that the vaccines are not one hundred percent effective. Yeah. But the, the studies consistently show they are remarkably effective at both reducing uh, the, the your likelihood of having severe uh, of of contracting the disease at all, of having any symptoms at all, but also of having severe symptoms and hospitalization and death. They are really a miracle in that regard. And uh, even though they're not 100% infected, they are still the best tool we have to limit the damage that COVID-19 does, particularly to the most vulnerable, the uh, people with, uh, people with uh, comorbidities, people who are in their 70s and above. And it's why I keep trying to convince you, Bob, that this is the (laughs) best thing that you can do to protect yourself.
1: So I'm reading...
2: and that doesn't mean we don't need therapeutics, but the vaccine is not a therapeutic. This is a very highly effective preventive measure.
1: Well, so uh, just some evidence to challenge that is uh, that... for example, in Gibraltar, they, almost everybody's had their third shot at this point, the, the entire population. In other words, they've had the booster, and yet they saw a spike in the number of cases, uh, which is not a representative of what's happening in countries around Gibraltar. We're also seeing uh, in Israel the same thing is happening, as we're seeing a spike of cases after the booster. How do you explain that, how do you uh, reconcile that with the fact that the, the, the vaccine works?
2: So I haven't seen either of those studies yet, but it can happen that when you have low numbers of uh, uh, of cases, you you can still see spikes. Uh, and I'd want to compare that to countries, uh, not just the percentage increases in the number of cases in Gibraltar and Israel, but see uh, the absolute numbers uh, of cases in those countries, uh, as and uh, and the share of the population that. Uh, uh, are testing positive in those countries compared to other countries that have lower vaccination? rates. Yeah. What we would expect is that even though you might see a large percentage increase in the, the in Gibraltar and Israel, you, you might see very low absolute numbers and very low shares of the population if those uh, countries' experiences are consistent with the experiences we've seen in other countries in the clinical trial data for
1: the vaccine. Yeah, well, this all kinds of begs the question about this the uh, mandates, uh, for example, for vaccine mandates that we're experiencing. We're going to see uh, law enforcement and first responders being laid off in various parts of the country, including Los Angeles and others. Fortunately here in Florida, we are protected by the governor's, you know, we have a kind of a fire firewall against uh, uh, these aggressive and non- or, or unconstitutional acts by the part of the President of the United States. I, to me, there's enough evidence to demonstrate that we shouldn't be proceeding. Everybody should be able to make their own decision about getting vaccinated.
2: So this is where you and I have a little more agreement. Uh, the Just because the vaccine is effective, that doesn't mean the government should be mandating it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the most effective thing the government can be doing here is trying to get out truthful information to people and let them make their own decisions. I think when the government stops... Uh, trying to shame people who haven't vaccinated, stops trying to bully them into vaccinating. They'll get more people to open their minds to vaccination, take a hard look at the data, and realize, hey, this is actually a remarkably safe way to protect not just myself, but others uh, in my community from COVID-19.
1: Yeah, and uh, there was a study, apparently uh, uh, Pfizer covered up but didn't report accurately the findings from their initial uh, human trials on, on COVID-19, underreported the deaths that, uh, that occurred as a consequence. So there's a lot of evidence that I, I really wonder what's the source of, of the truth. How do you find real information about what's going on?
2: I think you have to look at the trial data. Certainly the sorts of uh, uh, reporting problems that you mentioned can occur. Uh, but the best available data uh, consistently show that this is, as I mentioned, the best way we have to protect ourselves and our communities. Uh, I've, I've, I'm one of those who has uh, uh, make, made the decision to have the vaccine based on my read of the data. I've also had my 12-year-old child, and both of uh, our 8-year-old twins, Uh, have vaccinated at this point because uh, the available data points to the conclusion that these are remarkably
1: safe products. Well, you know what, Michael, Uh, actually, uh, you're the expert, and I just think uh, it's very valuable for our listeners to hear both sides of the story. You know, needless to say, I am resistant. I'm not an anti-vaxxer at all, but I am resistant because of the evidence I see but uh, you've uh, worked your way past that. And, of course, uh, you've walked the walk. You've gotten vaccinated yourself. You've actually experienced a, a, a case after being vaccinated as well as uh, vaccinating your family. So I just genuinely appreciate your comment here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. All right, Take thank, care. You, thank you, Michael. All right, coming up, going to visit with Brad Palumbo. He is the uh, domestic correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Big uh, issue of marijuana legalization coming up right now, surprisingly, from Republicans. This will be an interesting conversation. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich
0: Back to the Bob Hartman Show. And now here's your host, Bob Hartman.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show, pro- providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Brad Palumbo. He is the uh, domestic correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Brad, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Hey, good morning.
1: Good morning, Brad. Tell us about the Foundation for uh, Economic Education.
4: It's the oldest free market think tank in America, FEE.org. If people want to check it out, we've got news and commentary on economic news from a free market, pro-capitalism perspective.
1: Yeah, Brad, I uh, used to be, by the way, with the Washington Examiner, is now with the Foundation, I must say, very prolific. It's great to see all of your columns and research that you're doing, Brad. And uh, one of your latest is about legalizing marijuana nationally. Maybe you could tell us about it.
4: Yeah, so I covered a new law from six Republican members of Congress written by Nancy Mace from South Carolina and co-sponsored by folks like Peter Meyer from Michigan. Basically, what the law would do is get the federal government out of the way and let states make their own marijuana laws because right now it's technically illegal under federal law to have marijuana even in states where they've legalized it and they have legal marijuana trade. And that creates a bunch of headaches for people in terms of using the banking system, in terms of transporting the goods across state lines. Right, It's just totally incoherent to have it illegal under federal law but legal and promoted openly in some states. So what their bill would do is remove the one size fits all. Get the federal government out of it and let every state make their own law about marijuana, uh, whether that's legal marijuana, whether that's medical marijuana, or whether that's banning marijuana. It would get the federal government out of it. And I think that's a good, good first step.
1: You know, I think so as well. I mean, we are the freest nation of the world, and yet we have 25% of the world's incarcerated population. It's mainly because of these drug laws <laughs> that are in place right now. People who are. "Quote unquote, committing crimes against no one and hurting no one and not uh, taking any personal property. So uh, the, the fact of the matter is, there is a tremendous cost increase in the cost of marijuana out on the streets because uh, there is a risk premium that these people have when they uh, take uh, when when they get involved in illegal uh, drug transfers among people. So, and that's quite frankly, there could be some money that could be going to the coffers of state uh, governments."
4: Yeah, I mean that's one interesting thing about this new legislation uh, is that it legalizes marijuana and puts a or or decriminalizes it under federal law and puts a three percent excise tax on it. Whereas the Democratic bill that would have done something similar puts a ten to twenty-five percent tax yeah. on it, which is a big difference. And those high taxes uh, on on legal marijuana in states like California have actually meant that the black market sticks around Mm -hmm. and they are, they have legal marijuana, but they're the biggest state for illegal black market marijuana in the country. And that's because they've taxed and regulated it so heavily that the black market still exists. The great thing about this approach is that you need to have it very lightly taxed and very lightly regulated. uh, So it can actually get rid of the black market and in, Honestly, it hurts gangs, it hurts criminals when you legalize the product and take away one of their biggest income streams.
1: That's absolutely true. Plus, uh, the other thing is that uh, we don't always know that the marijuana that's being harvested and sold illegally is actually safe. There could be herbicides and all kinds of things that could hurt people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that allow for the regulation of not only the uh, distribution, but also the growing, the uh, uh, production. Of the product as well, and by the way, the taxes can be used to help educate the public against the dangers of uh, using the substance.
4: Sure. Um, yeah, I, I just think, practically speaking, it makes so much more sense uh, because, like you said, it's much more dangerous when something's in the black market. At least if marijuana is legal, right? It will be regulated businesses will be responsible for it so if there was a problem there's a store that can get sued and go out of business whereas i mean if a dealer gives you bad batch you can't do anything about it really uh so it's much much more safe actually to have a legal and regulated system
1: absolutely well just take a look at the uh disputes that occur in this business are settled right now in the streets with guns <laughs> as opposed to being able to, you know, if you're a drug dealer and somebody tries to uh, uh, perhaps not pay you or, or somehow commit some sort of a, uh, slight of your business. You can't take them to court. You've got to resolve it in other means. And that, I think, quite frankly, we could see fewer people in jail and less uh, violence on the streets if, in fact, we legalize the product. Uh, one of the big concerns, of course, is with uh, young people and whether it's a gateway drug for young people uh, to use marijuana and perhaps lead to uh, bigger use uh, with other types of chemicals as well. Uh, that can be addressed, can't it?
4: Yeah, so this legislation sets the age to purchase marijuana at age 21. So, I actually, I think the the research uh, really suggests that marijuana is not a gateway drug nearly Mm. as much as people once feared. But it's perfectly fair to worry about kids getting marijuana. We don't want teenagers or middle schoolers or anybody like that. Um, But the same way that we can have a, a legal aid, first off, I will say this, they're already getting it. Yeah. I mean, they're, already, they're buying it illegally, oftentimes, high schoolers. Right. Um, and, and that's not safe. But also, when we legalize it, we can set an age minimum on it, and this bill sets the age to 21.
1: Very interesting. So, uh, magic question, $64,000 question. Uh, what's the probability or possibility this is going to pass?
4: Well, it would just require some Democrats. Honestly, they say that they care about, you know, legalizing marijuana. They care about ending the drug war, and racial justice. But will they actually work with Republicans <laughs> to do it? Will, they, uh, it, it? will they co-sponsor legislation that only gives a small tax instead of flooding their coffers with cash to waste? I don't, I don't think so. But uh, So what I would say is I think that the chances that this bill passes right now, are slim, but something like it could pass uh, when Republicans take the House again, and more importantly, it, it shows an alternative vision for uh, you know people, because the public overwhelmingly supports legalizing marijuana, and if all Republicans are perceived to be uh, behind the times on that issue, that will really hurt the GOP, but when you have young representatives Um, pushing for change on this, it it gives them an alternative approach to
1: promote. Yeah, absolutely. Here in uh, Florida, of course, we have medical marijuana, which is, in my view, after I actually got my medical marijuana card to deal with some hip pain and back pain, and uh, it was kind of a joke, (laughs) but it's just a way to work around this uh, insane federal obstruction against uh, the the uh, transfer in, in commerce in marijuana use. And, of course, you know, you have to always pay in cash and all that type of thing. So to your point, it's a tremendous inconvenience as well. Look, let's just uh, acknowledge the will of the people. And let's go ahead and pass uh, the legalization of marijuana. We'll have less crime, we'll have safer product, and uh, we'll have regulation that will allow uh, to ke- help us keep it away from young people as well.
4: Yeah, I could not agree more, uh, and I do agree with you. I, I support the idea of medical marijuana, but it usually is kind of a, uh, not a scam. There are some people who genuinely need medical marijuana, right? Yeah, it's yeah. been shown to help, but there's a lot of people that just get the cards so that they can use it legally.
1: Yeah, exactly right, and uh, didn't do any good for me, and I... I don't have any interest in smoking marijuana or having marijuana because it just makes me kind of stupid but (laughs) I tried it in college and believe me it doesn't work for me but uh, anyhow, uh, for, for each to his own, let people make their own decisions about the use of marijuana. Brad Palumbo, again, uh, domestic correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. By the way, if you have a young person in your life who's high school or college age, introduce them to this terrific organization. Fee.org is the website, F-E-E.org. Brad, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Dave Vigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
5: The 17th Annual Capital Wealth Advisors Turkey Drop. On November 15th, Capital Wealth Advisors joined St. Matthew's House, corporate partners, and 100 volunteers to assemble more than 2,500 Hope for the Holidays meal boxes for those in need. Meal boxes will include a turkey, sides, pumpkin pie, and eggs. St. Matthew's House will distribute the meals to low-income families, those with disabilities, senior citizens, and veterans. The public is invited to help by donating frozen turkeys and canned goods starting on November 9. Deliver donations to St. Matthew's House Donation Drop-Off at 2601 Airport Road South, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5. Cash donations are also welcome. For more than 30 years, St. Matthew's House has been providing food, shelter, and life-transforming programs to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, homelessness, and addiction. Visit stmatthewshouse.org.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Some terrific programs including creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Dave Vigo, As I mentioned before the break, he's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's a story of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years. They tried to get him to sign a neutrality agreement, which would allow them to go to all of his employees, one at a time, and... and encourage them, <laughs> intimidate them into signing a, new tr- uh, signing, uh, a card to uh, sign up for the union once they got to the 50% plus one. They would be, voila, voila uni- unionized. Dave said, no, if you're going to unionize our 6,000-plus employees, you're going to have to do it by secret ballot. And, and then the games per- uh, in, in, pursued went on. Uh, all the dirty tricks, you just can't believe what Dave put up with attacks on his customers on his family on his employees just unbelievable stuff he ended up prevailing and wrote a book about it it's called the devil at our doorstep the devil at our doorstep i strongly encourage you to read it dave thank you so much for joining us here on the show thanks
6: bob thanks for talking about that i did a speech in greenfield indiana yesterday to a rotary club and um the people like to hear what I talked about in the book, and I had a lot of people buy books before they left yesterday.
1: Yeah, well, it makes sense because, first of all, it's a great read. I mean, just you, you can't believe this. St- I mean, it's hard to say, you know, you can't believe that human beings could stoop to the level that these people did. But nevertheless, they did, and I think it's just uh, very informative because it parallels closely what's happening in politics with the Democrat Party.
6: Well, that's exactly right because the unions basically in control of the Democratic Party.
1: they are indeed. And of course, it's a vicious cycle. Uh, They sign up people for unions. Uh, The unions, uh, the people pay dues, the dues go into the coffers of the union, and they pay out a portion of that to the Democrat Party for the most part. So uh, of course, the Democrats love that. And so there's a lot of support for the unions. And we can see that in all the legislation that's being considered right now. I would imagine it's as I recall, reading in the legislation about the Build Back Better program, every program that has been recommended is recommending, requiring union employees only.
6: Yeah, and that's what they're doing. And the unions are uh, really um, unionizing a lot of people across the country right now, and not, and not just, um, um, you know, employees that work in um, – Uh, factories or you know in the clean business like ours and other things but they're actually now going over um uh people that work in the media newsrooms stuff like that you know um and uh they had uh, three gannett newsrooms successfully unionized as political staff announces a union drive so all the journalists there are unionized and this is another way for them to control our country
1: well, of course, that helps to control the narrative, too, doesn't it, with regard to the news and what we're, uh, what we're reading yep. and seeing in, in, in the press. That's, yep, that's
6: what I mean by controlling our company, country, because yeah. they'll control what's uh, the narrative, as you said.
1: Uh, that's, <laughs> that's not good to hear. So uh, any good scoop with what's happening in unions now? Any updates?
6: Oh, yeah. Uh, the general counsel of the NLRB, Jennifer Aruso, who is a very pro-pro-union lady, Released a memo on ensuring rights and remedies for immigrant workers. In other words, they uh, they can come in this country and not have any problems, and um, the unions can organize them. And uh, that's another reason they want this opening at the border. And this happened back uh, when uh, I was still writing blogs. and that uh, the unions were during the Obama administration, they were uh, he was letting the people come across the borders, and the unions wanted them because they'd get them working somewhere there and unionize them. And um, then the Democratic Party will use them to vote for the Democrats.
1: Now, I said, but uh, these people cannot vote legally. They're not citizens. Citizen, you have to be United States citizens in order to vote in a federal election. So h- how can that be?
6: That's well, because um, the the polls are uh, controlled by, a lot of the polls are controlled by the union people. It's like, um, I can't remember his name, the senator out in Nevada um, several years ago, um, he um, he was he was behind in the in the, in the last year he was uh, running for election by quite a few points, percentage points, and um, he ended up winning by I think he was like behind by seven or eight percentage points. And he won by five or six percentage points. And the reason I wrote it in one of my blogs is that because um, I had a lady uh, contact me out there that was an immigrant. And she says that uh, the SEIU picked all these people up and took them in buses down to the polls, and and uh, at the polls they had SEIU members uh, controlling the polls, and they let these people go in and vote without being legal Americans.
1: You know, uh, I guess they've been cheating for years. It's unfortunate, boy. I just, you know, I would love to see a special counsel appointed once the uh, Republicans get in control to investigate, just like us. Durham is investigating the dirty tricks during the beginning of the Trump campaign. We should investigate the 2020 election and all the things that occurred so we can get this thing cleaned up and move on.
6: Well, I agree with you 100 percent. And we need to do that to protect and save this country. And, um, you know, the um, uh, but it's going to be tough. And uh, the conservative people need to get out and vote. Uh, and I think a lot of the Democratic people will too, because I think they're tired of the Biden administration and how they're bringing this country down. You know, higher prices and uh, the economy's falling apart, and, and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like I say, um, the unions are behind the Democratic Party. And I got another article that uh, uh, the United Auto Workers—they're uh, backing Biden's fuel economy proposal. So you know, they're they're backing all this stuff that Biden's doing that really isn't good for this country.
1: Yeah, well, the uh, federal uh, courts just overturned uh, Biden's prohibition against uh, drilling on federal lands, which is really good news. And unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I mean, Biden could have said, look, we've got a a crisis here going. We've got or seen the price of fuel going up. I'm going to open up federal lands for drilling and let's get uh, us so that we're back in a position where we can reduce the cost of energy. He didn't do that. It took the courts and now he's got egg on his face. It's just unbelievable. He just uh, he sort of continues to plummet in the polls.
6: Yeah, he does, and uh, so does Kamala, and uh, it's it's bad. But you know, behind the scenes, um, you know, they're not the ones really making these decisions. It's uh, it's the left and the unions and Soros and other people, and yeah, they're going to continue to do it. But it's going to be tough because uh, the American people and. Um, even the democratic party a lot of democrats are are tired of what's going on and that could help uh, the republicans win the 20 20- the Senate and the House in the uh, 2022 election.
1: Yeah, from your lips to God's ear. Kind of interesting, too, what's going on about uh, now they're inquiring about replacing Kamala. What would it take in the Senate and the House in order to replace the vice president? So she's fallen out of favor so much, and there's apparently so much infighting between the the president and the vice president's offices, and I'm talking about their employees and their staff, that uh, it's come to this. I think they're looking into what can we do to get to uh, jettison uh, Kamala. So my, my theory is that they're going to get rid of Biden once the, uh, he does all this stuff and blame everything on him. And then they're going to look for a candidate that they can replace, uh, Kamala with so that could perhaps, uh, carry on for the Democrat party. What are your thoughts?
6: Well, yeah, I think they're, they're going to have to get a better, uh, face, um, for the uh, presidency and the vice presidency. And, uh, I I think they'll work towards that. I really do, and um, but I'm kind of concerned that they're going to bring uh, Barack Obama in.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, that was the other thing too. One of the p- names that was uh, mentioned was Michelle Obama as replacement for Kamala uh, to become vice president, and therefore she'd become the heir apparent to the presidency in 2024 if things go the way they would they plan.
6: Yeah, and. That wouldn't surprise me, but uh, I know Barack Obama would be stepped up in there, too. So we'd be back in those ages where we had uh, the problems and the unions would have a lot of control.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. I encourage you to get a copy of the book. You can do that at uh, his website, uh, thedevilatourdoorstep.com is the website. Also, on my website, bobharden.com, you can get a copy of the book at a nice discount. And, of course, at all book purveyors. Again, Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
6: Thanks for having me on, and uh, you and all your listeners, have a great weekend.
1: You as well, Dave. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap. Here on today's show, I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for Monday's show. Mark Shulman is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, and as, as we have for the last 15 years on The Bob Harden Show, we'll be talking about current global events. Mark's always up to the minute with what's happening in the globe, and uh, we'll have look forward to that discussion. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. will visit with Larry, as well as Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Shake the Money Tree, and it's uh, uh, also uh, Follow the Leader, his other book as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are.